This is Derek Dernberger, and you're listening to The Break Podcast. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Here we are, day two, 10th annual Deer Fest here in West Bend, Wisconsin. Tom Rainey here from Browning Trail Cameras with The Break Podcast with Derek Dernberger. And we have my good friend, Mr. Jeremy Moore here. We're going to talk about both of his companies this afternoon. We're going to talk about Hodag Licking Stick, and we're going to talk about Dog Bone Hunter, because they're both interesting to me because I don't know anything about either one of them. Well, I appreciate you having me, big fella. <laughs> It'll be fun. So uh, I guess let's, just, we'll, we'll, uh, let's kick off talking a little bit about Deer Fest real quick. You know, this thing is something I've been to for about six, seven years now. I think I may have, did I meet you here? I think I probably met you at Randy Birdsong St. Jude event first, that right? That was the first time, yeah. But Deer, for us, Deer Fest, uh, out of 10 years, last year is the only year we didn't actually have a booth. Yeah. So it was, and it just was a scheduling thing. But, um, yeah, first time we really met was Birdsong. <laughs> and, and we really met. Yes, you know we did. <laughs> we were laughing earlier. That's a, that, that event's next week. That's a, such a good event. We raised so much money for St. Jude. But you do meet a lot of people at oh, that yeah. event. <laughs> Never a disappointment. Birdsong and his social circles keep everybody moving. <laughs> so what we'll start with today, we'll start with the hodag looking stick. Yeah. Actually, what I want to start with is. Well, the first thing I ask I, yeah, is, I was what's, a, say, what's a hodag? Sure. Uh, that's a great question, Derek. Uh, so it means nothing. Uh, hodag actually is, so I'm from a really small town in Rhinelander, or named Rhinelander. It's in northern Wisconsin. Um, so we do a show like this at Deer Fest in Wisconsin. People actually will recognize Hodeg. They, I think they think it's a country music festival that we went to because uh, there is a Hodeg country music festival. It's probably the, what Rhineland is really well known That's for. That's a hoedown in Tennessee. Exactly. Uh, but Hodeg is it's, it's a strange story, but it's a mythological creature that uh, in the late 1800s in Oneida County, Wisconsin, which is way up north, logging community. Um, they're a big paper community now, but... Uh, they had a guy come out of the woods and say he captured this animal and he brought it to the Oneida County Fair. He charged people a dollar to come and see it. He put it in a little tent. It was dark. People would come in. He rigged it up so that it would make noises. It scared the people. They ran out and more people came in. So this guy made a living doing it. And what ended up happening was uh, the Smithsonian wrote a letter and said, we're going to come and see this hodeg because we've heard about it. And he had to basically say... I made it all up. So from that point on, Rhinelander was known as Hodeg Country. Um, I'm from that hometown, and it's a weird word. And so when we were thinking about building this this product line, our, our shift went to don't build a product, build a brand. And so we called it Hodeg. And from Hodeg, we, uh, we, we've created the licking stick. And then the licking stick, we've got some other products that we've got in line behind it. So. <laughs> we got Rut Daniels over here holding court. <laughs> I, had, I have to laugh because my son uh, really likes the guy, loves this, right. loves this guy. My son is like, dude, you got to see this. And <laughs> Rut. It's, it's so, so I had to have my son meet the Rut himself because uh, legendary. You, ha- you have to go shoot that world-class Hoyt. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yesterday she let me down, but you won't today. <laughs> well, good luck. Thank you. Hey, thank you. Enjoy the rest of your day. Yes, sir. Good luck. Hey, good to meet you. 
Uh, I love that guy. It's hilarious. So yeah, so that's the story behind Hodig. It's just a, it's just a, a, a name uh, from the small town that I'm from. Right. And uh, I like old stuff and I like history stuff and and so we decided. My partner and I said we had to come up with a brand instead of a product. And so the licking stick is really our our kind of our our flagship product under that line. Um, but our, our intentions and in, in where we're, the direction we're going to go probably with our patents and our patent coverages is to create this product family, which is really scent communication for deer. Okay. Um, in, in an effective way, I, I, I love, so we've, we've used some of the Browning Trail cameras in the last couple of years uh, as major marketing tools for us because that product, um, what I love about that product is it's so visual. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, a trail camera to me is a very valuable tool. It's only as valuable as what I can put in front of it. And so if the right. deer doesn't go in front of it, I don't get the good picture. I don't get the good video. And so um, that's where that product line marries up so so closely to a trail camera. Um, but it, our, our tagline is inventory, pattern, and hunt. And we feel like that's exactly what we're doing with, with these. I like um, it. Inventory, pattern, hunt. Yeah. Simple. You know, hey, man. I, I like the way that is because... Usually mine is hunt because it's not kill because I can't shoot and I can't well, see. And that happens too. <laughs> so hunt's an appropriate word for me. Yeah. So who, how'd you come up with the idea? It's a it's a neat system yeah. you have there. So so the story behind it was years ago, uh, 2005 2006. We were we were putting in a food plot, um, and it was in prop on a piece of property. It was actually a buddy of mine that was doing it. We would put this food plot in, and. We dissed it up. Now, so we're talking small food plot, kill plot, really, is what I think most people would refer to it as. I mean, we're talking like eighth of an acre, maybe smaller than that. It was in the woods, though, and it was kind of thick. Uh, it was like a popple slashing. It was just real thick, small undergrowth. And we dissed it up, and we used ATVs. It was that small. And by the end of it, you know, when you first work a food plot up, it's not very clean. It doesn't look as pretty as a, a work field. So this is exactly that. Lots of roots, lots of um, little saplings. Well, we got most of them, but there happened to be this one sapling that didn't get dissed under. And we're talking a sapling like in uh, three quarters of an inch diameter at the base. So it's not very big. It's five feet tall. And so I seeded that, we seeded that food plot out, and we came back, and we realized that nothing grew around that sapling. None of the, none of the seed. And I, I thought, it's really strange. So we put a camera on it. Um, and on a relatively small piece of property that I had back then, it was 80 acres, uh, I ran enough cameras that I felt like I could recognize, I would recognize just about every buck that was you know, two years old or older that I could, could say, that is this deer consistently. Within two weeks, every deer on that pro- every buck I could recognize was at that, at that stick. And they were, they were interacting with it. But I had my camera on, on pictures. And so it was like, why did they come to it? I don't know. Well, we, we realized we didn't really care why. We just wanted to know, could I do it somewhere else? So we, we rigged up a bunch of different prototypes where we, I'm a dog guy, so we used a screw-in dog stake. And we put a stick in it, and I had just drywall screws in it. And I'm trying to figure out how can I hold these trees up where I want them. Um, we ended up getting through a lot of different prototypes, and eventually I... I was at work one day and I thought what about a spring like if a spring held this thing up and so I went to a hardware store I bought one I had a buddy weld it up for me so we ended up we we transplant we put these trees exactly where we wanted them and we wanted to see if the deer would come to them 
And I think it was a curiosity thing. I think it was something where they saw this visual change and they were curious. And so we started putting them where we wanted them, putting cameras on them, and all of a sudden we're getting one deer to come touch it, then another deer, then another deer, then another deer. Again, not knowing exactly why, but, and this was a while ago, and when I, when I Googled it, you know, scrapes and rubs, everybody knew about them. Uh, Greg Miller wrote that book in the 80s, yeah. you know, hunting, hunting rub lines and scrapes. And, um, you know, that was real common, but licking sticks are different. And so I ended up talking with a guy um, that's a deer farmer. He's he a, uh, he a deer farmer, he raises deer. And I told him about it and he goes, yeah, they use them all the time. They're not rubs or scrapes, they're just licking sticks. Yeah. And these deer, they deer, they communicate, they keep tabs of the other deer with it. So we figured that's kind of what we were doing. And then we ended up evolving the design of it and we decided to make it the easiest, quickest way to put these things in, take them out, and basically program or, or, or condition deer to go to a spot. Yep. And it's, you know, it's real natural for them to do that. That's how deer communicate. So the difference, a big difference is, is it's does, fawns, it's bucks, it's, it's all year long. They're not just using it during the rut. Um, I got pictures of fawns that are a couple weeks old. Like they're, I mean, they're spots, they're, they're little, but they come up to it and they almost play with it, like a little cat that play with a little toy. It's really interesting to see the different, the way different deer interact. And sometimes a deer will come up to it and really work it. Sometimes a deer will come up to it and they just touch it with their nose. Uh, so it's 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 interesting, but what it does is it's literally maximizing my trail camera. Yeah. And for me as a hunter, it also I run into the, like my wife shot one for North America. We do some stuff with North American whitetail, and my wife shot a buck with the rifle in you know November seventeenth or whatever it was in Wisconsin, and that deer came to a pond, drank out of a pond, and then he walked over to the licking stick, and there was another buck there, and so they almost became a little territorial about the thing. And he, she, he, that buck kind of walked off. This younger buck bristled up. It was real cool footage. And then he turns and he goes back to it, and my wife shot him. Okay. So from a hunting standpoint, it actually can play into a value there as well. Mm-hmm. So it was, you know, it's, it's one of those things that it almost came because of accident. Like yeah. we accidentally left a little sapling, and it happened to be the thing that triggered the, the idea of, I wonder why the deer are doing this. Mm-hmm. So It fascinates me. Like, I, st- I still think that I'm still convinced, probably, no, not probably, wrongfully so, that, like, I stuck a bunch of those out in my field. The deer would, like, leave the county. They'd be like, what is this crap out here? You know, it's interesting. It's interesting because a lot, I, I do think that it's, it starts out visual. Yeah. Like, I mean, we put scent, I make a scent. So this this is this evolution. That was, that was what I was going to ask you is, like, yeah. is you make do you make the scents that you can, like, put on the licking put, stick? Yeah. I, we call it all-season scent, and the reason we do it is because we don't want people to think it's driven by times of year. Right. Um, so it's it's a – it's and, it, and I'll, I want to be really clear. It's not glands. There's no secretions. There's no urine. It's nothing to do with deer or any animals. It's not food. Uh, it's not designed to be consumed. It is merely a, a curiosity scent that creates – physical interaction with the deer and i know a lot of people oh you don't want the deer touching that because the cwd and all that i'm in wisconsin man i'm in the heart of that stuff the reality is deer and this is a huge debate a big door i don't want to necessarily open up but the reality is don't worry we're not smart enough to walk through it (laughs) deer use licking sticks in the wild all the time they communicate it's the way they communicate they've their bodies are built for it they're they have a buck has eight scent glands a doe has seven four of them are located on their face, nasal, sal- salivary, 
preorbital forehead. Those four are on their heads for a reason. And so that's how they communicate, keep tabs of each other. But when we, what we're doing is replicating what they do in the wild, but I'm doing it exactly where I want to. One of my best ones is, uh, one of my best looking sticks is on a food plot. And I sat in the stand for two years and watched deer go to a stick out in the woods, like at a distance, 100 yards away. And they go up and they touch this stick. And I go, why are they Why are they doing it? It's not a rub. It's not a scrape. It happens early before the rubbing and scraping. I'm seeing them in mid-September doing it. I see them all through the season go to this spot. So finally one day I just walked over to it. And here it is. It's a, it's a hardwood. I don't even know what kind of tree it is because there's no leaves. There's no branches. It's smooth. It looks like a pool cue. And it's about the size of a, you know, it's about one inch in diameter. And it's just polished up. But it's a tree. And it didn't break it. And so I was like, damn, that's a, that's a spot they always go to. So what? I clipped it off, I put it in the base, our spring base, I put it in my food plot, and I anchored it in front of my tree stand at 20 yards. Now all of a sudden I got a 20-yard yardage marker built in. <laughs> right. But every deer found it, and they just kept coming to it. And Same. so all I did was move it. All I did was move what they were already doing in the spot that I wanted. When we put them in new, we're, we're stimulating the, that action in a new spot. And so they see it. Hey, if you go home, if you go home, on, you're going to be home Monday? Okay. Mm-hmm. If someone put a tree in your yard that wasn't there when you left, <laughs> trust me, you'll notice it. And now, I don't if, know. How might, might not? <laughs> now, okay. In your living room. Let's yeah. say someone puts it in your there living we go. room, right? As uh, long as it's not between me and the TV. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you're going to notice it. And that's what happens is these deer notice it. And then by us putting that scent on it, we're simply, we're, all we're doing is triggering the physical interaction for them to touch it. Right. And, and that happens through the scent. I, it also happens, you know, there's, there's some tactics to it. I like to use a tree that has, I don't leave a lot of leaves on it because it blows in the wind, it trips your, it trips your camera. Mm-hmm. So I don't leave a lot of leaves. But what I will do is certain, certain trees, basswood is one of them, that I have found the deer absolutely love the leaves on it. So when I anchor that base and I put a little piece of basswood in it, the does, the fawns, the bucks, they all come up to it because of visual curiosity. But then they eat the leaves off of it. Like within a day, all the leaves are gone. So I always leave leaves on that one. And then by them eating it, they're hitting it with their saliva glands. And so whether they like it or not, they're scent marking it. And then it's the key is I don't want to refresh that scent. I don't, I don't want to have to go in there at all. Mm-hmm. Um, with the evolution of cell cams now, where you don't even have to go in the woods to check them. Uh, but I, I don't have any of those, but I go about once a month in the summertime to check my cameras. And so by me having something that they consistently go to, and once a deer touches it, then the next deer wants to touch it, then the next deer wants to touch it, it just snowballs. And so by the time I get these things going, they're self-sufficient. Yeah. You know, bait, minerals, First off, they're illegal in a lot of spots. By where where I hunt, they are illegal, um, and it seems like there's a trend. They're they're go- it's going that direction in a lot of places. The thing about bait is, I think you can get really good pictures on bait. The problem is, by the time I figure out a pattern on any deer, he's got me patterned because I have to go back and consistently put the bait out. Yeah, this is self-sustaining. This is something that you let the deer do the work for you. And you leave the- you you leave them. You leave all your setups up year round. Yeah. And anytime I have a camera, up, I do. Now, how long do you? Ha- how long will that? You okay? So you cut the sapling or the branch down. You yep. put it in there. How long will it 
totally, be effective, for totally, lack of a better word. Totally depends on the amount of interaction you get. Mm -hmm. So the more interaction, the more stimulates more interaction. So like the physical touching part of it, they will use it more. Right. As far as how it stands up, that's where the spring comes in. So the spring, if you have a rigid anchoring point, they'll break it off. Between the weather and between the deer and the bears and anything else that get into it, like we have videos of bears that come up to these. <laughs> they grab a hold of them and they roll over on their back and they play with it. But then when they let it go, it stands straight back up because it's on a spring. And that's where the design of the spring comes in, where it saves these sticks from getting broken off. And so how long will it last? You know, different trees last a little bit longer. Hardwoods always last the longest, but I've got pop, I use poplar a lot. Um, aspen, some people call it aspen, but we call it poplar around here. But a poplar dries out and becomes pretty brittle. Mm -hmm. um, I, but I have some that depending on how, now as you get into like October, mid-October, through November, they're going to start rubbing on, the bucks will start rubbing on it, <laughs> yeah. and they'll start scraping it. And I have, we have video of deer that actually, they get their horns into there, and they, they start to shred it. And they'll, they'll kind of like turn their head and crack the stick. A lot of times that happens. And so as long as the deer continue to use it, if it breaks off and it's high enough that the deer can still see it, they'll use it. Uh, if they stop using it, I just switch the tree. I just yeah. put another one in, and I recent it. Um, but I, you know, how long I have that one, that original, like that that real licking stick that I found in the woods. This is on its third year. Oh no, kid! And I, if I could clone it, I would, because it's the <laughs> best. Like it just, it gets the best interaction. So, um, my my partner Scott, he's down in Iowa. Uh, he's got land in southern Wisconsin too, and he told me he said I am gonna bring in when this tree gives in because he's got one that's just like the best tree ever and he said when it gives in we're going to put it in glass and we're going to frame it because it's like what what helped build this company because um, that tree has just always worked really well so it Look, just depends. the dogs find you yeah man i'm just the whisperer <laughs> the dog dogs all there. these people in this room that dog walks straight over here <laughs> whatever <laughs> he knows where to go that's right uh -huh. how long does it typically take for deer to start interacting with it great question uh i have had some that look perfect and they don't get any they don't get touched uh i my my thing is always if there's deer so this isn't something designed to draw deer to an area it's something you put in an area that the deer are generally using to begin with but this puts them in a spot so it's for that inventory it's for that patterning and then for hunting so if i'm getting a bunch of deer on camera but they're not touching the stick I realize I need to change something. So there's a lot of options. You can change the tree. Um, I have put out certain types of trees in certain spots and they get ignored. And I think a lot of people have run into this where they put one thing out, it didn't work, and they go, it doesn't work. Yeah. I gotta tell you, every time I rattle the antlers, the buck doesn't come charging. Right. But I know, <laughs> but I know rattling antlers works, but it's gotta be the right scenario. Mm -hmm. And so I, have, I, I look at it as, I gotta find the right combination, whether it be tree type, whether it be when we scented it, whether it be the time of year. There's spots where I could put out a licking stick right now and I'll get a ton of pictures on it. And then about September, right around September 1st when the bucks go hard horned, all of a sudden I don't get any bucks on it anymore. It's because they're not living there that time of the year. They've dispersed, they moved on, uh, You know, crops get taken off. There's spots that I can put a licking stick that works really good and then all of a sudden the corn gets harvested and no deer go there anymore so there's all these different variables but i really think that you put it out 
you give it a couple weeks. And if you're not getting the interaction that you think you should, now that doesn't mean big bucks. Like all I need to get is deer using it. Because if you, I have one spot behind my house that I never get a buck on in the summer. Never. I don't think any bucks live around here. I mean, where I where I live, there just aren't a lot of bucks. They get shot. You, know, you don't get a lot of mature deer when they're all dead in the back of a truck right. as a nubby. So it, it's a struggle. But but when we're, I'll get lots of does. And so I have some doe families that live in that immediate area behind my house. There's, it's safe. Um, they, they'll fawn there. They'll raise them through the summer. So I, as long as I got the does using it in June, July, August, I'm good. Because as soon as about mid-September to early October, every year, all of a sudden, one night, there'll be two bucks come. And then another buck comes, and then another buck comes. But the reality is, is I've got three or four mature does with fawns that, that use it during the summer. They live there. They're not going anywhere. The bucks relocate. They move. They disperse. And all of a sudden, about that time that the bucks start thinking about does, if the does are there using the stick, the buck comes. And so I have to be very patient on those spots. And it gets a little bit frustrating because I'd like to check the cameras and find a good deer on it. Right. But I just, over years and years and years, I've realized it's not going to happen. Uh, there are other spots, you know, that some that are hay fields. I don't put a, I don't put them in the hay fields until the farmer takes the last crop. Well, that's usually September. Right. So I will put one out as soon as they cut that last cut. I'll put one out, and those deer are used to coming into that hay field. They're conditioned to come into the hay field, and all of a sudden, it's like that scenario where one morning they come and there's a new tree. Or one night they come and there's a new tree. They're curious. They get downwind of it. They smell that scent. They start to touch it. So they're just, you know, and then there's little kill plots that are way up in the woods, and I use them year-round. I never, I pull them out when we disc it up or when we mow it, and then I put it right back in. So that's the nice part about being fast, quick, and easy. Hmm. It's pretty interesting. The whole thing, the whole concept of it is interesting. But you said something that actually resonated with me about how it's not meant to draw the deer into an area because the first time I just saw the video I, yeah. I hadn't even talked to you about it I didn't know what it was like my initial thought was like why is a deer coming into the area right to, so so that explanation is brief and as, as simplified as it is right helps resonate and makes sense to me because then you put it like in high traffic areas and you totally. kind of learn yeah. how to use the sticks because I mean I think that'd be a that's a learning curve for me is yes how to use it because I would venture to guess that it would be dictated maybe by what kind of saplings we have on our property that they yep. might be familiar with if it's a poplar because that's what yep. that's what well, we've got a lot of poplar a lot of oak so if i have those hardwood saplings and i use those maybe they might be more likely to right. use the stick right i think you know we've gotten i've gotten feedback and i've talked to people and we get messages and i've i have had some people message me and they're just terribly disappointed and i go you know what happened because i want to help you if you're not getting pictures, send me a message because I'll tell you what I would try. Right. And I'll, I'll, I had a guy send me maps of his land. And I said, here's what I would try one. Here's what I would try one. This is what I, I have him send me pictures of it. So I can say this, I would change this. I would change this. But anyway, I had this one guy that, that messaged me and he was just terribly disappointed. Uh, and I, and I, so I, I dug into it with him and I'm sending him messages back and forth. And he said, you know, I saw all these big deer on these videos. And this is why a lot of our videos, we don't, a lot of our videos are going to show does and fawns too. Because mm -hmm. the reality is, is it's not all big deer. But this guy said, you know, I saw all these big bucks and, uh, 
I put it out, and I'm not getting anything like that. And I said, really? And I said, well, what, you know, what are you getting? He said, well, I got a lot of yearling bucks on it, and I got a lot of does and fawns, but nothing mature. And I said, well, how many big mature deer do you get on camera? Off the, not on the licking stick. None. I don't get any. <laughs> and I said, well, Jesus, man, this son of a bitch isn't going to make them old. Like, it's just going to help. Whatever deer you have, you're going to get pictures of. Yeah. But it doesn't, it doesn't all of a sudden you know, draw mature deer out of nowhere. So I do think that people have to have realistic expectations. And you have to understand that um, you know, this, this, will work, this will work as well as you put it into play. And where you put it in the play. It's funny you say that because that was actually a portion of our trail camera seminar that we just did was setting realistic expectations. Totally. Because, I mean, that's important with all of this stuff. Absolutely. Like, how much prep work you do on the front end, what are your expectations, let's manage those and effectively. It's, it's overlooked. I mean, and I get it. Because, like, I mean, trust me, I, I, I consume as much marketing as I can for mm-hmm. lots of different reasons. And there are certain things that I see out there that get me really excited. And the reason they get me excited is because they paint a picture that I envision myself living right. in. Mm-hmm. And, I, and then I realize the ugly truth of, man, I just don't live in that scenario necessarily. But the, per, the function of whatever it is, it, it doesn't necessarily mean it's not working. It's just working differently in accordance with what you're putting it into play with. So that, I think that's something that people have to realize. Now, on the licking sticks, do you see scenarios where maybe two or three different bucks are coming in really leading up to breeding season where they try to establish dominance? We call it guarding the stick. We end up seeing, we see. So here's here's one thing that has become really valuable, video, Mm -hmm. as opposed to pictures. Now, I know it's a pain to check. Trust (laughs) me. I know it's a pain because it takes a long time to look at these videos. But here's the difference between when you have a, and this is what I found. When you're checking a card that was on a licking stick, you realize that you real quickly, if it's if it's something that's actually going to interact with the licking stick or if it's just something else that's at a distance or trip, trip this camera. But if you've got a camera on a trail and it, and it, and it starts you know, video and you're watching it and there's nothing there, you've got to watch the whole 10 seconds, the whole 30 seconds, right. whatever it is, yeah. because you don't know what's going to come. And nine, nine times out of 10, maybe it's even more than that, is it's not exactly what I wanted. It's not as what I had hoped. The, the the nice part about video for licking sticks is, first off, you if you don't have it on video, you miss a lot. Mm-hmm. So like you were talking about this dominance thing. We got a lot of video where there's a buck that will come up and work the licking stick, and you can see there's other deer with him. And all of a sudden, the video is playing, and all of a sudden the deer are running around the food plot, and this one buck is chasing the other one away. And then the next video, he's coming back to the licking stick, and he's touching it again. Yeah. And then it, it chases the other buck off. And then all of a sudden, that buck flip-flops and comes in, and he scent marks it, especially around when you're kind of leading up to pre-rut. Yeah. And I just think what these deer are doing is jockeying to establish an area. Right. Yeah. And they're kind of claiming territory. But you would never you would never know what's going on without having video. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, video has changed the way I um, interpret deer information. Mm-hmm. Because when you have it on video you know what way the deer comes in from and you know what way the deer walks off where if it's a picture you don't always get the true the true right. story i've i've literally put cameras on the same post on on the licking stick one on t- one camera on top of the other one on video one on stills to see if i really saw the value of video 
I'll never run a camera on a licking stick. I'll mm-hmm. never run a camera on stills because I just don't see the whole picture. Yep. I can see that. That was uh, that was also kind of a topic we put in on that seminar where we were talking about pre-rut. Like yep. if you've got a picture, you see the buck, you see three does. You don't know what's going right. on. Right. If you're running totally. video pre-rut, you see him when he starts to tend. You right. see him when he starts Absolutely. getting aggressive. And all of a sudden, you've got more information. Absolutely. So it's the same deal with the licking and sticks. I mean, it's super cool. Yeah. That, <laughs> like, well, that's like, there's like that. Those, ca- those, those cameras that I have. Uh, what's the one that's got the viewfinder? Uh, I think I think we've got the either the I think you've got the Spec Ops or the Recon Force Advantage. Recon Force Advantage. It's one of those two. Yeah. So, first off, I really like it from the positioning standpoint because I, for me, I need to make sure it's got the licking stick position right. It's got a frame I don't want it, yep. it on the left or the right. I don't want it because I want it centered in the frame so that I can get as much information all the way around it. Right. So that little viewfinder helps me do that. Really, I really like that. But what, what's cool is the volume. You get the audio. Oh, yeah. And now I got these bucks. For, I, I might not have a, anything in the film. Like, I can't see anything on the screen. But all of a sudden, I hear it. He's getting closer. And I'm going, yeah. holy shit. <laughs> and, and then he goes through. And I'm going, this is just cool. Oh, I mean, yeah. it, makes, it makes. I've gotten weird about cameras, man. I, I enjoy the camera part yeah. almost as much as the hunting part. Oh, yeah. Like, I just love this idea of being able to put pieces together and then and i you know and you know but i've got kids and my yeah. kids hunt and i find i find it i find way more value and, and enjoyment out of my kids killing deer than myself these days yeah. and so for me I, this is how i get my fix is the idea of figure these deer out using those tools yep um and then ultimately be able to kind of bring it full circle yeah um i still love eating them obviously so <laughs> i still get to do that but uh i i the the shooting part um to me i just had this conversation at our booth with the guy about having having young kids kill big deer mm-hmm. and i've had some people say oh you know you spoil them and you can't i the hell with that let them shoot, every, let, <laughs> yeah. shoot let them shoot them all because yes, yes. because one guy was telling me yeah but th- this kid doesn't understand it now he's you know he's 12 years old and he killed this big deer and i said yeah but he's hooked for the rest of his life yeah you'll never lose him as a hunter yeah so you know that's a separate subject but i just think that that's an important part of it is for me i get to do everything and then tee up my kids. Oh, hell, man. Yeah. If my dad could have done that for me, he'd have done it. We yeah. just didn't have the opportunity. Well, I do. Why not do it? Right. I'm just walking uphill both ways to school. Yeah, I know. Snow, Grandpa. barefoot. Grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you. you talk about shooting deer, so that gives us an opportunity to segue here. But before we do that, where can people find you on the internet? Is it Hodag Licking Stick? TheLickingStick.com. TheLickingStick.com. The and then all of our, Ben, is all our social Hodag Licking Stick? Yeah, so Hodag, Hodag Licking Stick is all of our social tag. And that's H O D A G. Yeah, yep, yep. So if you're looking for him, you, he's got social platforms on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. YouTube. Um, yeah, because YouTube would be a good place to go because of those videos because oh they're so man. cool to go through and those. We're, we're, uh, we are so heavy in video because. This started, our first patent was in 2007. We had a second patent in 2015. But um, I, st- we start, like, I have pictures. We have a little, we do a little, uh, we, we have all these little, I don't know, they're not really commercials, but they're little video things and promo things. And we have one one that's really kind of, I think, I don't know, I think it's kind of funny, but it, it talks about how things, a lot of things have changed when it comes to scouting deer. And so we show this trail camera that was like one of the first ones I ever had that did video. And it was like, 
earth-shattering back then to get video. Like, was like yeah. I can't believe we're getting a video of a deer. And it is the most pixelated, blurry, ridiculously <laughs> bad video. But we were so jacked when we right. saw these deer interacting with the licking stick. And so, but a lot of things have changed. So then we, we show this video on a browning, and it's like the most high def uh it's like i'm watching a movie it's like i'm in an aquarium swimming with the damn deer and so we 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 show that but the reality is is these you know the licking stick for us has been it's been a 12 year 13 year thing that we've developed and then uh just just recently because of resources because we're a small company and with dog bone it was our focus and um we didn't. We, we we established ourselves. We tried to establish ourselves from a distribution standpoint and a manufacturing standpoint. All those channels first, and then licking stick kind of followed suit. So we're deer hunters, man, and I'm just. Right. A, a, it's all the stuff we do always leads back to deer, deer or dogs. Yeah. Right. I live a very simple life. <laughs> and there's our perfect segue <laughs> yeah, right yes, there. Yes, it is. Because what I want to do is, just anybody's listening, we're going to do a reset, and then we're going to give you some bonus content because the reset is thelickingstick.com you can find information there you can go to instagram facebook and youtube hodag licking stick that's h-o-d-a-g and the bonus content is i might be a little biased here but i think jeremy might be the best dog man in the country here (laughs) so we're going to talk about another venture you have and that is dog bone hunter you bet you bet uh what's it's what really started us you know for me um, I love training, and and I always have. Uh, I'm not a formal, you know, trained trainer. Uh, construction's my background, and in college I got a really good gun dog, and that was what really hooked me. I went to college with guys from Minnesota who were big duck hunters, and we got into labs. Now my family had golden retrievers. I was raised with golden retrievers, so I guess a little soft spot for them. But um, I got my first lab then, and and really got into the bird stuff and but i quickly realized like i said before man i'm a deer deer guy and when i got out of college i had a great gun dog but i realized for those years i'd given up deer hunting focused on the bird stuff and the reason i focused on the bird stuff was because of the dog stuff that's right always i wouldn't bird hunt if i didn't have a dog yeah. and so and i think a lot of dog people are that way and so when i got back home and i had this dog i realized man i just got to get back into the deer and focus on trying to at that point in my life i was really focusing on trying to kill big deer uh or old deer and i realized there's not enough time in the day to do both you can't you can't really commit to deer hunting and waterfall because there's so much scouting with waterfall you you spend so much time doing that so i decided i kind of backed off on on the bird hunting stuff and I had a great dog that looked at me every morning when I would go deer hunting, and I felt <laughs> sick about it. So, but I had heard about guys that were shed hunting with dogs, and um, again, this is a long time ago when I Googled it, there was one article from Outdoor Life that came up on uh, a Google search. Talked about a guy out in Montana, or he was out, out Colorado, Montana. He had trained a dog to shed hunt with him. And I had heard about people doing it um, a little bit, but you gotta remember back then, like, you could knock on a door and ask someone to shed hunt, and they would ask you, what is that? They didn't right. even know what it was. <laughs> no idea. And, and, and you could get on anyone's land to do it. Nowadays, it's, you know, oh, my nephew shouldn't or my kids or I do or whatever. So it's, it's changed quite a bit in a relatively short period of time. But back then, I took that older dog of mine and I trained her to shed hunt. Uh, and I threw sheds for her and it worked. And I was really lucky. Well, that dog 
despite me, turned into a really good dog as a, <laughs> as a duck dog, as a, as, a, you know, as a goose dog, upland, and sheds. And it really was what motivated and inspired me to take training a little more serious. And so I bought a puppy. Uh, I was just going to shed hunt with that one. And early on in the training, um, she was about six months, I threw an antler for her. And it was really her first introduction to an antler. And she poked herself. And she hurt herself. And she wanted nothing to do with antlers. And I right then I was just sick because I thought, I bought the dog to shed hunt with and she was deathly afraid of him. And I was, I, I was so disappointed. And at first probably I was disappointed in her. And then I realized real quickly, I should be disappointed in myself. Like I set her up poorly. And so I realized very quickly that in training, when we run into problems, it's, it's, my, it's my fault usually. Um, and I'm not afraid to say it. It's just that's the reality. So I had introduced her the wrong way to an antler. And I thought about it and I thought, there's got to be a better way to do this. When I train gun dogs, if I want to train a dog to be a, a pheasant dog, I would not put it in a pen with a bunch of roosters and cross my fingers. Hope it turns out it doesn't. It's not going to work. <laughs> yeah. uh, too many things uncontrolled and too many things will go wrong, and the dogs can be turned off. So what I what I do is I incrementally get them there. So I start with a balled up sock, and then I go to a canvas bumper, and then I tape wings to it, then I add scent, cold game, fresh game, fresh killed game, live pigeons. Eventually, I get them to a rooster, and it's incremental. It takes time, and it takes lots of little baby steps. Why wouldn't I do something like that with a shed dummy? And so that was when I thought, I use training dummies to, to introduce the shape of a bird. Why not think about doing something like that with an antler? And so I, I sourced a manufacturer. They're made in Minnesota. Um, we, may, we still make them at the same place in Minnesota. But I got this antler, and I sent it to him. We made a mold of it. Uh, we created it out of this material that is flexible. Um, it, it's not going to poke or jab or hurt my puppy, but it is going to condition them. To, it looks like an antler. So I'm, I'm shape conditioning the idea of what something looks like to equal a reward. Um, and from there, so then I developed this idea of, well, what about the scent part of it? So I, I took a while to figure out how I could replicate some of these scenting elements that are found in an antler. Um, and then I just basically took the process of training a gun dog or bird dog, and I I substituted the shape and the sense, but I take a very, very similar approach. And get the, and I had success with these dogs picking up antlers, and that really kind of, that started dog hunting. And it was, that was it. And then I had a client that I was training a dog for, and he said, what about tracking? Can you get these dogs to track? And he's a big deer guy. Like he's yeah. a big deer, big time deer hunter. And I thought about it, and I thought, you know what? I don't know why you couldn't. Um, I had never trained a dog for tracking. Uh, deer, but I had trained lots of bird dogs to track cripples. Have to, and so I I learned a lot from uh, about tracking stuff. Actually, from he's not a sporting dog guy at all. Uh, he was a cop in New York, and he trained dogs for that were used during 9/11. Um, but he trained these dogs as for scent discrimination, for drugs, for bombs, for tracking humans, um, criminals. So I learned a lot about. The, the idea of scent discrimination from him, and I, I thought, man, you can if you can if you can train a, a, a dog to follow a guy through the streets of New York, based on his skin cells, yeah, and adrenaline that's coming off of a criminal that did a crime. I went, damn, a gut shot deer in the swamp, no problem. <laughs> My dogs will be just fine. Yeah. And uh, so from that, we developed tools that we use to train dogs to track. Um, and then we wrote, I, I, again, I replicated a very similar process to what I do with a gun dog. Um, 
just substituted some of the steps and substituted some of the items, the tools, the scents, and had a lot of success with that. So we developed Dogbone as this brand of deer dog training products. I mean, we did a seminar here um, today and yesterday, and we called it Developing Your Deer Dog. That was a segment that we did for North American White. We still do it for North American White Tail TV. Um, but it's this idea of using, have, giving the products and the information to people to be able to train their own dogs to do stuff that's going to help them with deer. Um, and it doesn't mean that you have to give up the other parts. I, my dogs do everything. My dogs do sheds. They do tracking. They do upland. They do duck dogs. Hell, my wife's got a therapy dog out of all. <laughs> yeah. and, and she's the mascot for Whitetails Unlimited. So, like, we just, we just, I think you can do a lot. We never, we never fully get out what the dogs have in them. It's just so fascinating to me that you could come up with that system because the need to, like, be able to track deer, to find sheds recreationally, all those different things, and actually develop a focused training process yeah. for teaching them to do that. Because you're right. I mean, we've never really tapped into what dogs can do. Oh. They're Far from <laughs> I mean, on any level. It's right. just amazing right. the things that they're capable of. Because right. you even see those articles, the stories where, I don't know, a, a, a Somebody will have a heart attack. Sure. And like the dog ends up going for help, and yeah. it's like, yeah. uh, I always thought Lassie was a scam, <laughs> was man. Lassie still that episode too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, uh, Timmy really was in the well. <laughs> yeah, right, right. But you're you're right. And like, I, there's been a lot in the news lately with dogs detecting cancer. Yeah, um, they can detect. Mm. They can smell it. Um, you know, diabetic alert dogs have been around for a while now. Where they'll they'll detect uh, a person's insulin level up or down before the test will ever read it. I mean, so the 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 ability for the dog's level of acuteness within their nose is like we can't even wrap our minds around it. Yeah. There's stats that they can, you know, scientific stuff that they can show you that dogs can do with their noses. It's mind blowing. I mean, look, think about a deer's nose, right? Now, a deer's life is dependent on the success of their nose. Mm-hmm. You know, in 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 the old days. Dogs would have been the same way. A good, uh, you know what they call a dog that can't track? A dead one. You know, yeah. they're, they're, they're a wolf or a coyote that can't track doesn't survive. So evolution has weeded out the bad nose. Um, and, and our dogs are, you know, direct descendants of that. So they all smell well. Um, they all have, they all have, in so many ways, the capabilities to do things that will never maximize. I, I do my damnedest to try to, but I, even the even the best ones I've ever trained, I couldn't get it all out of them. There's there's no way. Hmm. Now, some people might be curious about this, and I think I'm going to say this correctly. You might have different terminology, or I might just be an idiot, because I am it most of be. the time. <laughs> most of the time, that's the that's the correct answer. But you use positive training techniques. Yeah, I do. There's no. I don't. Maybe I'm going too far with no negative reinforcement. Yeah. But, but your techniques are positive in yeah. theme, built, basically. Built off of um, a, a reward, uh, and I'm going to say that, and then everyone's going, like, "Oh, he's a treat trainer." I'm, I'm not <laughs> a treat trainer. I'm not the guy that wears that the fanny get you a pack. T-shirt, fella. No. Yeah, I should have shirts to say I'm not a treat, treat trainer. trainer. Uh, but you know, I, and 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 I don't. I say that somewhat jokingly because uh, I'll offend somebody, and, I, and I, we're a very sensitive society. But uh, I don't mean to offend. I don't have anything against street training. I don't have anything against force, force stuff, force fetch, shot collars. I want. Here, I don't use them. Absolutely, do not use them. Um, 
I don't believe in the mental the, that philosophy. I also don't believe in the philosophy of all positive and treats. Um, I think so, and I and I won't beg on either one much. I will a bit. But <laughs> I think treat training. You run the risk of creating a dog that that acts off of bribery, and I don't want to bribe my dogs to do things. I want to condition habits. Um, the sh- the force part of it. I don't want dogs working out of fear. I don't believe in avoidance training. So I like to find somewhere in the middle. And why I why I tell people I, I never say you shouldn't do this. Right. You should do this. I think you shouldn't be pinned down to one style. You should listen to everybody's style and then figure out what fits best for you. So I that's what I've done. So my style is a complete uh, mix of several other people that I've taken things that I like and I've taken things that I don't like and I've cut things out and I've added things in and I've developed what works best for me and my dogs and my goal and maybe it's turned into a bit of a mission is the idea of I would like to let as many people see that so that they realize there is an opportunity to do it other than treat other than force and so uh, I'm, I'm a mix somewhere in the middle, but on the on the scale of force versus treat, I'm I'm uh, I'm heavy towards positive. I, and when I say positive, it's because hell, I think dogs are. I know dogs have been bred to make us happy and please us. They need a job. A lot of them want, need a job to thrive. And the question is, or the hard part is, how do you get that out of them? How do you talk so that the dog understands it because it's not as simple as sitting down and having this conversation i can't explain things to dogs that way it's just not how they communicate deer communicate in a unique way with licking sticks dogs communicate in a unique way with tone and body language and the idea of their timing is timing is very important maybe one of the most overlooked things with dogs correction and praise has to happen within certain short windows of time to be effective and so i think those are all skills that that trainers develop um that 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 you can improve on i think the other thing that's um probably if anybody accuses me of anything i'd like them to say when it comes to dogs anyway always pretty patient yeah Um, i'm not in a rush i don't get i don't get i don't get pinned down by time frames i don't get i don't get i i'm I, I try to avoid the idea of being stressed out because the dog's not doing something in a certain amount of time because everyone works a little bit differently. So those are those are philosophy things that come come with the idea of trainers and that's how I lean. But I like I said, I, I don't I don't talk a lot about shot callers because I don't use them. But I, what I want to make sure is people understand I don't use them and I never will. Uh, I think they create as many or more problems than they'll ever fix. The problem is, is people have been, I think, led to believe that they're, they're the fix-all. And I want to show people that you can do it without them. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's real important for people to understand. Because I think there are a lot of people that don't want to use it, but they don't think they have any other options. Right. Yeah, no, actually, that's why I brought it up, because I, I do think that there are people that want to work with their dog, yes. that don't want to put them through the shock process. And yeah. I think that your process and the way that you go about it is at least from my particular taste, the, yeah. the way to go. And that's just it. It's a taste thing. I, I love how you say that because some folks don't have a problem with it. You know, right. I, I don't force fetch. Um, I hold condition. I get the same result mm-hmm. without having to 
pinch the ear and have the dog screaming. Right. That's just, that's just my style. Well, there's also the fact that I like dogs more than I like most people. <laughs> well, you're not so the only one like that. You know? <laughs> so there's that. Like that. So yeah. Yeah. If I've got any ears and noses I want to be pinching, I'm not real sure it's the dog. Yeah, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well said. I might use that. <laughs> exactly. My life motto right there. I gotta, I'll make that a t-shirt. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So do you you raise your own pups then? I do, yeah. I, I do some joint stuff. I think genetics are real important. So yeah. over the years, I've developed um, as many relationships. I mean, I'm talking to two guys right now that know the world of relationships and the value and the importance of it, especially in our industry, right? So over the last um, 15, 16 years, I've, I feel like I've done everything I can to try to really develop strong relationships. Um, and and I'm a... I have really dialed in the style of dog that fits me well. Um, so I've done some joint breeding stuff. I've done some individual breeding stuff. I don't consider myself a breeder. I think breeding is an art. Um, I've gotten, I've gotten, I've been doing it long enough now, um, and I'm, I do it a bit selfishly probably because I know the dog I want. Um, I know the dog that I want to train for my clients, and so in order to replicate it consistently or with with the most consistency as i can i do think it takes a particular style of dog and there are certain lines of genetics that i've become real familiar with um that i lean heavily towards so i'm not a breeder um but i i for myself i take part in some really selective breeding um and as i as we grow as a company and as we move move on from a um just further down the road as, as our business develops and myself as a trainer um, it'll probably I really feel like one of my goals is to, to just dial that in even tighter and continue to dial it in um, again it's, it's 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 selfishly I'm looking to I'm looking to work with the best the dog that fits me the best personally might not be the best fit for everybody else right um, but for me, it needs to be. And I do think there's a lot of people, you, you go to our booth and you see the dogs, and there's a lot of people that I think are drawn to the idea of that style of dog. I like a little bit, I like a dog that has a, plenty of energy in the field, but is very easily co controlled and very cooperative. I think cooperative is one of the traits yeah. I look for in a dog. Um, and th there are a lot of ties back genetically to stuff like that. Yeah. So I, I bought a lab about a year and a half ago or so, um, and I didn't really look at pedigree and, and those type of things. And one thing I just found out is there's two different types of labs, is what I've been told, field labs and yep. water dogs or duck dogs. So there's... Sure. Yeah, I th well, I think there's different styles. Um, you know, we there's lots of variations. And when you say I didn't look at the pedigrees, I'll be honest with you, the pedigrees don't mean much unless you know the dogs behind the pedigrees. Yeah. Like on paper, hell, I don't know most names. There are a few that I do. Um, but and, there, and it's interesting because as you look at more and more of them, you realize a lot of dogs out there are from a couple core names over the last however many generations. Yeah. Um, we see that all the time. But unless you actually know those dogs, and know the style of the dogs. I think one of the best ways to put it is 
when it, when it comes to looking for the right dog. And I, I, I steal this completely from a podcast that I listened to of a, <laughs> a guy that he owns. Uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but he owns a, a kennel called Paint, R- Paint River Llewellyn's. The Paint River Setters. He's a, uh, it's a Llewellyn Setter kennel. Um, the guy, I think, lives in New York. I listened to it, Project Upland, was the podcast. But he said the thing that you need to do is buy a dog from someone who hunts the way you hunt and hunts what you hunt. And so I think I've always said buy a dog should come from the style of what's important is the training style, the lifestyle and the hunt style. Those things have to match what you're going to do. You can't fit round pegs in square holes. Right. It's hard to do. So there are differences in these in the labs. There's big different. There's lots of differences. Um, I lean heavily towards what is known as a a UK bred dog or a British style field dog, not yep. table. So I always look at there's field dogs and there's show dogs. Mm-hmm. Some are bred for confirmation and looks. That's the show dog. Some are bred for natural game finding ability, strong noses. In the American now, huge difference between the American style of field trial and the UK style of field trial. Um, UK, I prefer the UK style of field trials because it relates better to my hunting versus American field trials and hunt tests lean heavily towards some control with the dog. I almost think that, and I'll get in hot water for saying this, but I almost think that sometimes they breed out a lot of the qualities that I look for in a hunting dog. Yeah. Because in order for them, and I don't blame them, because they're playing a certain type of game and they need a certain type of player to do well in it. And that type of player isn't necessarily what I'm looking to do because all I do is hunt. I don't yeah. compete. <laughs> I, don't, I, I, I want a hunting dog and I want a family dog. I, I mean, I've, I should reverse the order of that. My dogs are family dogs first. Yeah. Because, hell, I don't hunt that much in compared to live with my family. <laughs> right. And, and the best hunting dog in the world, if it can't do the things I'm doing at these shows and in our house, and if it can't do that stuff, it, it has no value to me in the field. Um, because I'm not into... I just think that the dog is not a tool that you park in the shed when the season's over. It's not like right. a four-wheeler. Right. Um, it's part of our family. And that's how it fits in that's how we build it in kind of to our life yeah so well where can people find information on dogbone hunter what's the website dogbonehunter.com okay and dogbone hunter is our uh what do we call it the con the your instagram handle yeah yeah the handle yeah so dogbone hunter for everything okay so it's a lot easier um and that's our YouTube, our Instagram, our Facebook. And I do, I think, you know, we're probably a little bit, <laughs> I'm probably a little old-fashioned. Uh, I'm not super techie, if you can believe that. But uh, I think that those social platforms for us, especially with, with Dogbone, yeah. are so valuable because it's such an easy way for us to share information. Oh, yeah. Um, and I, I just think that, you know, we have made a major point. We've got DVD. We've done training DVDs. And we do a full line of training products. And we've evolved from shed to game recovery to general dog training. Um, but And so we have these different branches off of our, off of our line. Mm-hmm. But the information part 
Right. I mean, that that to me, we train dogs. We literally train. We've got one right now that's 16 weeks old that Ben will be recording all the training and we'll put it live onto you. We'll basically put it live to YouTube. It'll be a right. daily upload. We're doing a series right now with a, a yellow lab that I'm training that's doing hand casting. Going back, rights, and lefts. Right. We called it Cody Go Back. We've done 30 days in a row of it. And you see the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I really believe that's the value is you see all the mess. <laughs> I get a little comfortable and I'm having a few beers. You see all the f- uh, messing right. up I do. Watch uh, those words yeah, now. Right. So, so you see, you see all the mistakes. You see all the things that go wrong. Right. And it's a little risky on my part as a trainer because you can look like a real fool. Right. But it is so valuable because my dogs make the same mistakes as you. Right. I do think Instagram and Facebook and some of the social stuff serve as highlight reels at times, mm-hmm. and they don't show necessarily the mess. Right. And so we have decided, ah, I'm not that proud. I'll show the mess. No, I, th- yeah. I think there's value in that on those social platforms, providing the authentic content. Totally. I, th- I think that everybody has, especially as people getting older, they've been using things for 10, 12, 15, 20 years now. I think right. authentic is yes. is making a move to the top of the list of things that people are interested yeah. in. And I, and, I, and I thrive off of that. Because yeah. I, because I, hell, I make lots of mistakes. I mean, you want to, you want, I'm good at making mistakes, <laughs> and so it's something I do very well. And but what I, what I think is cool is the idea of how do you respond. I right. think mistakes are opportunities <laughs> for dogs to learn. Most of the time, they are not when you lose your cool. Yeah, and that's right. where that's where I, I go back to that, the P word, patience. Um, it's the biggest compliment I can get when I'm at a show for someone to look at me and go, you're just so damn patient with those dogs. Now, if you ask my wife <laughs> or my kids or Ben, one of, the guys, one of the guys that I work with, if you ask any of the guys I work with, I don't know that patience is going to be on the top of their list. Yeah. You've exhausted it all with the dogs. Yeah, I have, I'm Jekyll and Hyde, man. I, I, but, but I realize with the dogs, you don't have any option. Right. You can't be... A, can't be an asshole to the dog. You can't rationalize yeah. it with him. Yeah. They, 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 my dogs, I'll hurt their feelings. And if I hurt their feelings, they won't learn. Yeah. And so I have to, I have to recognize, it, it's about being self-aware of, of, right. of what's around you. And I, and they know what? Training dogs has made me a more patient person with my family. Right. With my kids, with faith. Like it's just, it's, it, in all the parts of my life, uh, dogs have made me better and that is something i'll I, I i really appreciate it and i won't forget it you know it's something that i'm reminded of it often so well one of the things that i like about both of your brands with the licking stick and with your uh, dog bone hunter is they're both like next step brands so like if, if you've learned how to shed hunt and you're interested yep. in shed hunting if you want to take that next step right. you start looking at the dog bone hunter alternatives right. if you want to find ways to identify what deer are using your field and get better imagery and see how they're interacting with each other then you get involved with the licking stick so that's what i like about both the brands you've got it's both like next level things both next level interaction yep uh and so i think that what you were talking about the more authentic content becomes more relevant because when people look to take the next step people become more intellectually engaged in what they're seeing so they don't want to see everything polished up they want to see what bumps am i going to encounter as i try to do this or i try to engage in this 
So I, I think there's a lot of common sense involved in providing more authentic content totally. for people that are looking to take the next step and evolve, whether it's the dog bone hunter or the licking stick right. type stuff. I've, I've realized with the social stuff, and we got relatively late into this game of building social media following and all that stuff, but I have 100% realized, our, and I've always I've said this, we're not, our following's not real wide. Mm-hmm. It's extremely deep. So, like, the, the people that are with us, man, they're with us. And, and I will all day long take that type of a follower as opposed to, eh, you know, there's no depth to it. Yeah. And so I'm a I'm – because I also think we've realized it's a long, it's a long game. It, training dogs mm-hmm. is not a sprint. It's a marathon. I use that all the time. So is growing a business. Like, I'm – my partner and I did – we never – once have we said let's build it really big really fast so we can sell it right like i've got kids and i hope to have grandkids and i wouldn't mind <laughs> i wouldn't mind our company our company's name is actually more outdoors i wouldn't mind my grandkids working for right yeah you know like my kid works for me right now he's here at the show he's working for me right now um well wait a minute daughter, I, I, I i've seen uh, the 10 year old in the shop too. Red. Oh, red. <laughs> I've seen red with a broom, oh, buddy. Red, I've red, seen them all red working. Makes, red makes a Chinese sweatshop look like a, look like a Christmas break. I've man. seen them all no, out no, there, no. buddy. That, that, red, red's a machine. Sierra's a name. You know, we, we call her Red. Yeah, yeah. But Sierra, um, she's 10 years old, and she grinds it out in the summer in our shop. And, and Mason's, you know, over here with Rock Daniels, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> They're busy. But, right. Um, you know, but, yeah, so I, I look at it and I go, and my partner feels the same way. We both say, he's got young kids, and we both said growing a business is not a sprint, it's a marathon. Right. And we just have to take that approach and be okay with the idea of it just takes a while. So, yeah. um, but I love opportunities like this. I really appreciate you guys having me um giving me the chance to kind of share our story i think that's um i find a lot of interest in other people's stories yeah and so i thank you for letting us kind of share ours well it's our pleasure i don't know that i've got any more questions i think you've got me satisfied for this afternoon oh, here yeah. at deer fest oh, this was you? great yeah i cool. think this will be a good cool. one so thank you guys i appreciate it yeah appreciate you stopping by yeah i was gonna say for sure once again mr jeremy moore with the licking stick and you can find him at the you can also find him on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Hodag Lickin' Stick. He also has Dogbone Hunter, and that's dogbonehunter.com. Dogbone Hunter on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. So if you got any questions, you want to find anything out about both of these brands, check those out on the local interweb. <laughs> and I believe that's going to do it for me and Mr. Derek Dernberger for today, the second day, 10th Annual Deer Fest, West Bend, Wisconsin. And we will hope to see you on down the trail. This is Derek Dernberger, and you're listening to The Break Podcast.